Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of A Modern Nonprofit Podcast. I am here with one of my good friends, Alicia. She's actually a founder of a nonprofit and is going to share some of her experience, which I think is a little bit different take on how we normally tackle these episodes. So Alicia, welcome. I'm so excited to have you on today. Thanks for having me. It's always um, a pleasure to talk with you about um, the nonprofit space. So I'm excited to be here. And I, I especially am excited about having Alicia on because um, she's really experienced a lot of unique situations with starting up a nonprofit. And one of the things that I am very proud of with respect to this podcast is we're pretty unapologetically us, right? We're, we're just going to talk about the things that no one else really wants to talk about. Um, and Alicia, you, you and I do that a lot anyway. So let's just yeah. go ahead and dive right into the conversation. So what made you start your nonprofit? Tell us a little bit about that story. So um, the non, we did not start our uh, school off uh, as a nonprofit. So I run a childcare center for 124 children currently. And uh, we began with uh, servicing 30 children and uh, came to find out that there are many more families that are in need of quality childcare. And so a few of our um, families at the school uh, joined arms with us and uh, we started our nonprofit in 2016 to uh, deepen the capacity of children that we are able to serve. Um, one of the things that we noticed um, over the years um, that our care began to change, um, that families that could afford us uh, could access us very easily, but families that couldn't um, afford us would sit on a waiting list. So we wanted to make that change uh, for children and families. Perfect. And I think what's really interesting about your story, and I get this question a lot, is you actually converted from a for-profit to a nonprofit, right? So that's a little bit of a, a unique path that you took in order to expand the work that you're doing and to get more opportunities to serve the kids that were, you know, really your target population, right? The kids that couldn't afford it otherwise. Right. Um, to switch from a for-profit to a nonprofit. So kind of along that line or just starting a nonprofit in general, but I think that's part of your hardest lessons learned. So if you had to pick what the hardest lesson learned that no one told you you were going to have to face, what do you think that would be? Uh, to start the nonprofit off with a, a stronger board, um, we had a founding board, which, you know, was phenomenal. And I'm not taking away from myself or that board, uh, but we really um, started off with a small board um, and our board didn't have a fundraising capacity. And as we know, you have to fundraise um, in the nonprofit space. Being an African-American founder and never uh, operating a nonprofit, um, you know, I didn't have a seat at the table in St. Louis philanthropy. Um, and so I think that I would have uh, slowed that process down a bit and invited more folks in that could help um, to make education a reality for our children. Because we run at such a large gap, um, it's been challenging to, to sort of um, carry the weight of that as the executive director and then the board do their, their job of helping us to run the school, but they don't have the fundraising capacity necessary sure. to, 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 to close the gap. So really 
hardest lesson, you know, make sure that, you know, you, you mentioned the word founding board. And when I think of those words and maybe think of them a little bit differently, it's generally going to be within the circle of the founder um, generally, right? Because you're going to tap on people you trust and people, you know, and people, you know, that are buying into that mission. Mm-hmm. But sometimes it doesn't possess all of the skills that you need, or like you said, the weights, especially, right? Um, in the fundraising side, that that is a big part of it. And I know, Alicia, one of your biggest challenges was the fact that uh, some technical glitches with the funding, right? When you switch from a for-profit to a nonprofit, um, be really careful for anyone that's listening, what those contracts look like. Because if you don't have fundraising and you have some technical glitches within your funding streams, when you might make the switch from, you know, for-profit to nonprofit, or even if you don't have this unique situation, I think it's, it's difficult that when you get funding, sometimes you have to put some effort before the funding even comes. And so how do you get funding for that? And if you don't have, like you said, Alicia, a strong board, um, you're really swimming against the current. Yeah. And I think you're so right. Um, a lot of the, the, um, gifts that we are getting now are, you know, based upon relationships and our ability to get in there and tell the story um, and ask people to come along with us and uh, lean into the work. And that takes time. Uh, mm-hmm. We shifted very quickly from a for-profit to a nonprofit and didn't look for all those technicalities that could potentially be harmful. Um, and we spent a couple years trying to come out of that. And we're grateful for mm-hmm. the relationship with you and others that have helped us to um, kind of to um, rise above the ashes um, because it was um, a quick shift. And yeah. we, we um, going from for-profit to nonprofit is a huge um uh, change. And uh, if I had to do that over again, I probably would have created a nonprofit arm of the school. Um, mm-hmm. I think that maybe um, it would have given us a time to fully transition the school to a nonprofit or make some decisions around what would be financially best with our CFO um, <laughs> in that regard. So I get this question all the time from many people that are starting a nonprofit. And one of the biggest questions is, you know, what piece of advice, what do I need to know? What are some of the hard lessons learned? So if you had a piece of advice that you would give to someone that hasn't quite yet started a nonprofit, but wants to, what would that be? Uh, I would link arms with some folks that are running nonprofits and try to um, get in under their wing and learn from them. ask these questions that you're asking me now, um, prior to um, uh, starting a nonprofit, I would uh, weigh the pros and the cons. I think we did some of that, um, but early on, and that was helpful in some instances. And um, also see who's operating in that space uh, that can join in and be a part of the work. and to to make sure that you have the support that you need and don't Mm -hmm. start without a a good legal team and CFO. I mean, Mm -hmm. we, you know, had the fortune of meeting you a couple years ago and we were just using accountants and they were great. And, but, but it didn't give us the depth of services that we needed to truly understand what we were capable of, where our money was going um, and look at our, uh, finances um, broadly, because I think most nonprofits challenge is in the financial area. Um, you have this mission and this big heart, 
but um, not having the right tools to run the business is scary. And um, I would not uh, advise going into this without a strong team of folks that know um, the nonprofit space. Yeah, you know, I remember when you and I met and we were sitting around the conference table and you shared with me um, that you felt like a small fish in a big pond and you just didn't want to feel like a small fish. I don't know if you <laughs> I don't know if you remember that conversation, but it's so true because I think so many organizations get started using the help of people that kind of know um, that want to help, but they feel like they're, and even if they tap in for help, they often feel like, you know, people are doing them a favor or they're not asking enough questions or they're not getting enough answers and they're not really getting their arms around these things to really understand what's going on. And, and what's really interesting, you know, you've been in the early education space for a really long time and you ran your own business as an early education provider for many years before you started as a nonprofit. And what's really interesting that I think you've learned since then is once you switch over to the nonprofit space, there's a lot more compliance, there's a lot more regulations, there's a lot more things, we've talked about this over the years, that you needed to know. So by, even though you have many friends in the early education space, you have a wide network there, but specifically as it relates to doing this work through the lens of a nonprofit is, is really kind of different. And to have that tribe of people that you can tap into, what do you do here? What do you do there? Um, I think that's really good advice because it, 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 it can be different and oftentimes is different. Um, even if it's the same service that you're providing, it's just under a different tax structure, so. Absolutely. And I think you share with me that there's 1.7 million nonprofits. Um, and I believe you say 80% of them um, run under 250,000 we are a $1.9 million organization. I, I just chuckle when I say that because um, that's the investment that we're putting in the children. So it warms my heart, um, but it is a big undertaking and um, big responsibility. And I think, you know, having the right folks uh, from the start will help to um, garner uh, more support mm -hmm. along way because I think even within like the funding space that funders want to see other people interested and know that they can trust this organization because when you're new you're still building relationships and trust um, especially for women and folks of color um, you've got to carve out your seat at the table and take up space um, and that takes some time so um, not rushing to just do the 501c three paperwork, but really gathering the folks necessary to make the uh, project uh, um, successful is important. You know, it's kind of funny because you always felt like a small fish, but compared to those stats that I shared with you before, like you're actually not that small. You're quite large actually. And I think the thing that I struggle with, and I know you and I've talked about this and we tried collaborating on some projects to bring more help to this space, is that 80% of nonprofits struggle with, I hear you, um, I want to hire these people, but how can I do so? And that's a solution that we're constantly, I know you and I talk about this all the time. I mean, how do we lift other people up in this space? Because the need is so great. There's people that want to do this work and how can we put them um, in the right, the right structure or, or giving them the right skills and resources and tools to make them successful, so. Mm -hmm. It's a, it's a big need. So I think 
I have to ask this question. If you were to do it all over again um, and convert from a for-profit to a nonprofit or even start this nonprofit, would you do it again? Loaded question. <laughs> uh, I think I would because um, the nonprofit space has the ability to do it's good, right? And call folks in. I think um, I, again, would make sure <laughs> that I have the right folks at the table. And I think um, I'd like to see a deeper investment in technical assistance for childcare centers or small nonprofits that are looking to go in this direction so that they can fully analyze the impact um, that changing your business structure will have on your business. Um, you know, we started off with this fundraising gap. Everyone said, oh, people will give. Well, no, <laughs> we actually threw ourselves into a debt space and we're finally coming out of that. Um, and I would say to folks that are, you know, um, wondering if they should invest in um, having a CFO, it is so worth it. We were so nervous, uh, you know, about the investment because, you know, um, it seemed at first blush like, wow, this is a lot, but it really isn't what we've been able to do with your uh, team has been phenomenal um, from looking at tuition rates and um, we weren't charging enough to fully cover the tuition and looking at ways to um, collaborate with organizations around town or um, just taking a creative, colorful look at our budget has been so helpful and it, it allows me to do the job that I came to do, which is serve children, so. Well, let's not forget my clearly most immediate value working with me, the constant harassment on, we need to find more money. We need to find more money. So I ring the alarms and you just go out and make magic happen. So <laughs> that's not too, really listed on my website, but. <laughs> I think too, um, you, uh, do a little bit more than just that. I think what I think is so amazing about you is as a woman, you have not been afraid to, to empower other women to use their voice. And as a leader of a nonprofit, you have to tell the story and you've got to ask people for help. You know, I was afraid to go and ask for money or um, to ask for the help that I needed. And I have enjoyed working with you because you pushed me to think about how we're going to eat more often. And um, we're finally at a place where we can take a deep breath and actually find joy in what we're doing. And that's the hope for many organizations. Well, it's, it's interesting that <clears throat> my thoughts on that, I kind of dovetail a little bit into my next question, which is what do you think the philanthropic community could do to help nonprofit startups? And I, I say that because I've had several conversations lately with interesting people, I wouldn't necessarily consider myself a fundraising person at all. But as I've had these conversations with a few, um, you know, people that are connected to the philanthropic community, um, major donors, and I shared with an investment advisor the other day that works with some of the wealthiest people in town. And I had told him who better to tell you which organizations have a great need um, and are doing their best than the actual accountant, right? And sometimes the um, fundraising professional doesn't always know, you know, those closed door conversations that you and I have had to have about what do we cut? What do we do? 
um, you know, how bad is the situation or what are our real opportunities here? Those conversations are usually had between the CEO and the CFO. So I was joking with the funder yesterday that not only am I the CFO for about 85 nonprofits all over the country, but I'm, I'm almost kind of the chief development officer too, <laughs> because when I see funding opportunities come, I'm on the phone, you know, doing sorts of things. And so in that spirit, you know, and you and I talk constantly to whoever will listen to us about the need for um, investment into certain things. You mentioned some of the technical skills, but um, maybe it's that, which I know you and I've talked a lot about, but what else do you think the philanthropic community can do to help nonprofit startups specifically, those 80% of yeah, us? Right, I think right that, uh, capacity building grants should not be for established organizations. We need to build strong foundations for nonprofits. And that kind of got me worked up because I think that in our um, start, uh, we found that folks wanted us to have it together. And it's like, no, this is why we're starting because we mm -hmm. want to give what we have away. Um, and you were right. We were successful as a for-profit. We didn't run in the red. <laughs> um, and the moment we converted to a nonprofit, we start operating in the red because we had not built that crowd of friends. So I think that um, St. Louis philanthropy and um, philanthropy around the country could really start narrowing in on where are organizations that are strong in what they're doing and just want to go to the next level. Um, and that investment could go a long way because once we're strong, then we can share with other organizations the tools that we've, you know, um, received. And um, new nonprofits don't have it together. We need the handholding, the coaching. Um, and if, you know, you could bring on 10 organizations up underneath a grant that would give them six months of your services to fully look at, you know, what uh, their financial picture is, ways that they could grow, and then they would be able to afford your services themselves, you know, but mm -hmm. we've got to find someone who's interested in lifting these organizations up um, in, in terms of support. Yeah, that's such a, I, yeah, I know you and I have talked so much about that. And I think the biggest issue um, kind of from on the inside perspective, on the opposite end of the table from the funders is that those that need it the most, you said something, and I want to kind of go back to that, where the funders expect you to have your act together, right? And how do you get your act together if you don't have any support to lead you in this direction? And I think one of the challenges that I tend to shout from the rooftops is that I think we're doing this backwards. We're expecting people to have it together, and yet we're not giving them the resources and the tools to understand what they even need to have to define get it together, right? And you and I know that the organizations that need the help, whether it's on the financial management side, the program outcome tracking side, the fundraising side, we're not going to go to the funder and say, we're a mess over here and we need some help because if you do that, then they're going to consider you not funder worthy, not funding worthy, right? And so we have this weird just disconnect. Mm -hmm. On so, so what ends up happening in my experience, because I see who gets funded and who doesn't get funded, that these funders are continuing to fund organizations to your point that probably already have resources to reinvest in themselves. And that's more of a board issue than, and I'll leave that for another day. Um, but it, it really starts to create this, um, 
this, um, I'm trying to think of the right word. It, it's so disproportionate, right? So most of the resources are going to the organizations that probably already have this or have the resources to get it anyway. And then so you tend to have these organizations that are more grassroots, that are much smaller, um, that are generally probably underfunded. Let's just say it on, on the record that it's going to be largely disproportionate for people of color running these smaller organizations because they don't have those seats at the table with the major funders. And so the people that need it the most aren't in a position to get the help that they really need to, to elevate their organizations into a different space. And I think that um, this has been a great conversation because you and I talked, we presented, we've tried to get people on board with this um, to help funders understand what an impact we could have if given the right structure to do so. So and I think too, um, I would also call out that it's important for organizations to not just look at like, what are your normal gen revenue generating streams? So for us, it's tuition. Um, and then yes, there's fundraising. But in the meantime, you encouraged me several times like, hey, have you thought about creating more revenue by, um, you know, um, being a consultant to another organization that needs help in this way. So really working with nonprofit profits to leverage each other's skills could be helpful in um, bringing additional resources to the school. But then um, we've also explored over the last year, so social venture opportunities, mm -hmm. figuring out what your capacity is and um, closing that gap by bringing on, you know, maybe new work to the organization that, you know, will pay for a portion of your ED's role or, um, you know, a few of your directors or staff members um, to, to, to make your, your organization viable. Um, and we are still, you know, optimistic that one day we will be, you know, a United Way partner or <laughs> something like that because we know we do good work and we are, um, we, we it, it's just a, a time game, right? Of like, mm -hmm. they need to see how funders really want to see how um, you're existing. So we are excited to keep moving forward and using the tools that we've, um, that we have in our arsenal and then, you know, developing new uh, strategies to, create sustainability. Great. So Alicia, you're very humble about this, but you're quite the powerhouse in St. Louis when it comes to early childhood education. And I think you downplay that quite a bit, but tell us a little bit more about your school and all the things that you're doing so that if people wanted to follow you and see what you're doing and, 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 and check out your journey, how, how would they be able to connect with the school? And especially if they want to support your organization or collaborate with you in some way on social, some social venture, you know, tell us a little bit more. So uh, I'm the founder of Urban Sprouts Child Development Center. We uh, service 124 children uh, daily. Um, due to the pandemic, we have about 72. So life is a little bit different. We've <laughs> shifted um, a lot of uh, what we've done over the last year to support families virtually, and then also some in school. Um, and then we've also, put a lot of our energy into feeding 6,200 children across St. Louis um, over the last nine months. So that's been a very interesting and very re just, you know, rewarding project. Um, and we love food at Urban Sprouts. We have gardens and it's a really magical place. So we wanna make sure that all children have access to quality meals. Um, and if you'd like to follow us, um, we are on Facebook. We are on Instagram. 
Our website is www.urbansproutscdc.org and you can get a peek into what we do um, on behalf of children every day to bring them joy and magic, which is uh, my favorite thing to do. Um, and you can follow me personally on Facebook and you could just look up my name, Alicia Lanier, and my profile is public. And I'd be happy to tell you more if you'd like to come for a visit or learn more about the work that we're doing. Awesome. Awesome. Well, I love your story, Alicia, because I, I remember when I first met you, one of the things that brought you into early education is because you yourself was an educator in a more elite school. However, you yourself could not get your kids into a similar quality program, right? And so you were trying to figure out how can I, my children, um, and all children have access to um, school. And I think uh, your school and the quality of your school is indicative of the wait list. How many kids do you have on your wait list now? Well, Tasha, <laughs> I probably shouldn't tell Tasha this, but uh, we now have 425. Um, 425. I think the pandemic, you know, a lot of places closed. Parents are really scrambling for childcare. So we have 425 children on our wait list. So it's, you know, some children will make it in in their lifetime and others won't, which is really why we need to be thinking about exactly. how to create more institutions like ours that are top notch. And I mean top notch, not just because I run it, but because the educators are intentional and there are people like Tasha and other folks that are connected to the organization and keeping the organization sound um, and a great mm -hmm. place for kids. So um, yeah, I, and, and you know, I, I Education is so critical. I mean, you know, being that I was a high school dropout makes a huge difference in my children's lives as they've come through the, the center. You know, I just had a, a, I have a 21 year old who is a senior in college and she came through Urban Sprouts and, and so I have my other children and they um, make me proud. So to have an, an institution that um, supports high, um, high quality early childhood interactions that that um, black and brown children and children from low to moderate income families can access is important. And 67% of the children that attend are attending for free or very little, you know? Um, mm -hmm. And so we, that, is, that is the part that we need folks help with to make sure that we can continue to, to do that um, every day. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's so amazing to me because certainly I, I don't know if I've seen another school that has as high of a waiting list so that speaks to um, the program at, at, at Urban Sprouts but I think that it's I was actually visiting another early education center and they have a, a pretty significant wait list too and it's not just a St. Louis problem um, it's a national but especially here in St. Louis where we're both located, but it is a national problem. Mm -hmm. And so kind of going back to the philanthropic community, you know, asking for help to create, it's not because um, we, we sometimes get this idea that there's too many nonprofits out there. We don't need any more nonprofits, but um, the demand for quality education would suggest that in fact, there is a shortage in that particular area. Um, there's been some needs assessments. Maybe we'll drop that in the show notes, um, the IFF needs assessment. So any of those um, in the philanthropic community out there that are looking for an amazing funding um, priority area, consider early childhood education for sure. Hopefully um, this story and, and, and Alicia's um, you know, conversation has, has helped shine some light on that. So Alicia, thank you so much for being part of this. And for any of you 
that uh, want to learn more about Alicia or her journey or her school, go ahead and check out their website there. Follow us, um, subscribe to our YouTube channels. We'll get this video up for you all um, as well. And of course, audio on any major streaming. Um, also check out our Facebook group. I have invited lots of my nonprofit friends, including Alicia into our Facebook group so that we have created our own tribe and our own community to continue to share resources uh, amongst each other and hopefully create some of that knowledge and expertise that so many smaller organizations need. So thank you, Alicia. And until next time, thanks everyone. Thank you.